How many of you guys so far have been uh, just really getting a blessing from Bible Boot Camp? Excellent. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Um, Jesus is coming soon, and what better place to be than right here this afternoon? Even though the sun is shining, God will definitely reward you coming here and um, uh, filling your mind with the things of him and uh, preparing yourself to go out and share the word and also equipping yourself. I know when I went through um, this whole Bible boot camp, it impacted me just as much as uh, getting me ready to share people with people, and so I pray that it does the same with you. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer. Dear Jesus, I just ask that you continue to um, uh, be here and stay in this room and just uh, help our minds to continue to focus on these things of you. Uh, Be with me, empty me, and please just speak through me. We love you so much. Amen. Okay, so this is the first part of a two-part study on the judgment. Um, Hopefully, a lot of you have gotten the verses written down there up there on the screen. If not, uh, as we go through, you'll see that I have them numbered. So if you missed writing them down on this screen, you'll see them. As we come to them again, you can just write them down. Okay, so the purpose of this study is to show that the judgment is to vindicate the character of God, to remove blame and prove innocence. In the judgment, God is really on trial, not just us. Uh, this is just such a wonderful study. It's, I'm so excited to share this with you. And the center it today is, in the judgment, Jesus himself is on trial, not just us. Jesus will be our judge, our lawyer, and in the stands when we are on trial, trying to find every way to save us. What do we have to be afraid of? God reads the heart and motive. We just need to live completely for him every day in response to his amazing love for us. And you don't have to put all that, but you can kind of summarize what you want to put in in your center it. These um, things that we give you at the beginning are just kind of to get your mind focused on what you're, you know, with all the information that you're sharing with your person that you're sharing with, it kind of just keeps you on track with what's the main point you're trying to get across to them in that study. So I'll give you a minute just to write that down. Okay, so the first question that we're going to be asking uh, in this study is, is there a judgment? Is there a judgment? And so to answer that question, we're going to turn to our first verse in Hebrews 9, 27. If someone wants to read that for us, Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... Okay, so we see the Bible says that, yes, there is a judgment. Um, many people uh, on earth, when they have to face a, something they've done and the court has given them a verdict, they don't want to face their verdict, and so a lot of them will commit suicide. An example of that is the Nuremberg trials after World War II. This judgment, however, we will all face, we will all go to no matter what. It is so important that even the dead will be resurrected to realize their verdict if they are dead. So... Um, if we're not alive at the end of time when Jesus comes, then we will be raised up to realize our verdict. Um, but God is not a tyrant just waiting for us to come up there so he can, we're standing in front of him and he's just going to push a button and let the floor drop down underneath us and then we're going to hell. He is not that kind of God. So if it is so important that there is a judgment, what is the purpose of the judgment? And the next three verses we're going to look at are going to go over what is the purpose of judgment. First one is Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Of the glory of God. Okay, very good. So the reason why there is a judgment is we have sinned. Uh, We realized that in our last study. We are not worthy. Um, We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We're under condemnation. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But thank the Lord. In John 3.16, Jesus offers he counters this condemnation, and he offers us salvation to all those that believe in him, and to all those that accept. 
And praise the Lord for this verse. You know, we hear it so many times in our life, John 3.16, but it is such an amazing verse talking about just the amazing love that God has for us. And throughout this whole study, and in all these studies, they're all centered on God. And just to see the love of God, no matter what topic you're studying, you know, it can be anything. God's love is clearly shines throughout the Bible and throughout his word. He's a loving God. And that's the main thing you want to portray to your people that you're studying with, no matter what the topic is. God loves them so much. Okay, the transition here is, is it possible to once in life have accepted this gift to walk in faith and then to turn away from it? Is that possible? I heard some answers. That is very good. Um, our fourth verse is Hebrews 4, uh, 10, 38, and 39. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Okay. So God is so loving that he's given us the freedom of choice. He's given us the freedom of choice before we come to him and, and choose to accept his gift of salvation. And he's also continues to give us that freedom of choice after we choose to accept his gift of salvation. He doesn't just make us robots. Well, okay, once you, you know, you've accepted my gift, now you're gonna, I'm going to force you to stay in this path of life. No, he's so loving that he gives us that, that free will, that free choice. And so, we, does salvation have an undo button? Yes, it does. Okay, so some other verses that talk about this topic of, is it possible to turn back if you're walking with Christ and then to turn away? Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna, they're listed up here on the screen. And these will, are really helpful if, you know, someone has a question on once saved, always saved. Um, these questions really talk about it. So, um, we won't look them up, but if you want to just jot them down and you can turn to them later, uh, it's Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. It talks about how once salvation is offered, it is possible to forfeit salvation. Second Peter 2, 20 through 22. And uh, on the screen you can see Hebrews 3, 14. We are made partakers with Christ conditionally, if faithful until the end. Hebrews 4, 11, there is a potential to fall. Ezekiel 33, 18, righteous. Even the righteous can turn from his righteousness. And Exodus 32, 33. In order to be blotted out, it talks about being blotted out of God's book. And in order to be blotted out of God's book of life, you first have to be in God's book of life. So that, yes, it is possible to, to turn away because God is so loving, he doesn't force us to do something. He gives us the freedom of choice. Okay, so here's the transition that you want to say. Um, we realize so far in the study that um, we have sinned, that God has offered us salvation, and so now people, people can decide if to walk in God's way, but then there also is a possibility that maybe they once decided to walk in God's way and then they left his way. And so there has to be some sort of um, determination that finalizes who has continued to live covered by the blood of Christ and who has rejected his offering of salvation. So with that said, let's look at the dictionary's definition of to judge. To judge means to examine something and to decide. So the transition question that you would present would be, if God knows all, then why is an examination to people's lives necessary? Okay, we, you know, if God knows all, why does he have to examine and look into, look into the situation? Well, let's establish the fact that God does know all. Um, our fifth verse for today is Psalms 139. Psalms 139, 1 through 4. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. 
Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O God, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Okay, so God knows all. He knows everything about us when we're, whatever we're doing, God, God knows what's happening. God knows everything that's going on in our lives. And Matthew 10.30 also talks about this. Matthew 10.30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Okay, so once again, we can see God knows everything, even the hairs on our head, and that changes every day. You know, you take a shower, maybe a hair falls out or someone pulls it out. (laughs) That's always changing. So God cares so much. He knows everything, including that little detail. And so we know that God knows all. The Bible says God knows all. So if that's the case, and if if the judgment isn't for God, since he already knows everything, who is the judgment for? That would be your transition question. So let's look at God's pattern of judgment in the next five verses. We're going to see God's pattern of judgment throughout the Bible. The first verse is Genesis 3, 8 through 11. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Okay. Um, and this is just a little th- side note on giving Bible studies. Some, you have to, first of all, kind of figure out where the person that you're giving with, you know, what they know about the Bible. And so you might want to establish the background of the story um, about, you know, Adam and Eve or whatever story that you're going through. Because sometimes verses will not tell the whole picture. So you might want to establish that beforehand. But here God is talking to Adam and Eve and he's asking them questions. And he's asking them, you know, where are you? Does God not know that? Well, we just established the fact that God knows everything. So why is he asking this question? Um, This is the kind of question that many parents will ask to their kids when they want them to learn. So they'll say, they're called rhetorical questions. And so they're questions that the the parents already know the answers of. But they're asking their kid, why? Because they want the kid to understand why they're getting the punishment or why. Or just to have the kid kind of think through their eyes to kind of, to have them learn through that situation. So this is what God's doing. He's asking rhetorical questions. Not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants the person that he's dealing with to understand where he's coming from. He wants us to think. So if these questions weren't for God's benefit, whose were they for? They're for the people that he's dealing with. They're for the benefit of us. Um, we can see this, the same kind of illustration over and over again. Let's look in Genesis 4.8 and see him talking to Cain. And what does he say? Then Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Uh, and nine. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, so here he's asking another question that we established that God already knows everything. So he's not really asking for his benefit. He's asking for Cain's benefit. He's wanting to kind of share how his mind is working and kind of come down. He's, he's teaching us that he's a personal God. He wants to come down and he'll engage his children in his logic. And why does he do this? Because he wants to establish confidence in his actions and in his um, judgments. Also, let's look in Genesis 6, 5. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, so it doesn't say that God was sitting up on his throne and just the Lord all-knowing just kind of, you know, made some sort of announcement. He actually saw, so he's taking time to investigate what is happening 
with his children. And you'll see this all throughout the Bible that God always investigates before he takes action. So that's a really good point that you want to make. God always investigates before he takes action. He's not just a random, I'll just give this pronouncement. He always will investigate before he takes action. And he wants us to realize why. And so he'll give us, um, he'll, he'll show us what his mind is like, how he's, how he's thinking. Let's look in Genesis eleven five, And this verse says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. So God didn't just stay up in heaven. He came down to see what was going on. Uh, God always investigates before he takes action. He didn't need to come down, but he came down for us to show that he wants to personally get involved and just to build confidence, confidence in his decisions. God is always fair. And then also in Genesis 18, 20 through 21. Genesis 18, 20 through 21. Yeah. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because thy sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done also altogether according to the cry in which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. Okay. So was what was about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah a very terrible thing? Yeah, the, there was going to be fire coming out and just destroying the whole city. And so here's the point that we can see in the Bible is that the more impending the coming judgment, judgment, the more God stretches himself to establish confidence in what he's, he is about to do. And isn't that a comfort to know that God, he's not just sitting up there. He's personally coming down to get involved. He wants his children to know how he's thinking. He wants to make his, everything plain, very plain to us, why he does what he does. And so all throughout the Bible, we find God investigating before acting. Um, Genesis 18, 17 is an extra verse you might want to write in there. It's not in your main list, but it's Genesis 18, 17. And this is just such a neat verse. It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? God wants to be transparent with us. He just wants, he wants us to understand we're his children. So the summary of what we just talked about is God always investigates before he takes action. And in Jude 7, it says that Sodom and Gomorrah how God dealt with that is an example of, how, of what will happen in the end. And so we know that how God dealt with that, those cities, how he'll deal in the end with, with the judgment. And aren't we thankful that God will always investigate before he takes action? Okay, one of the most uh, beautiful examples that, of God coming down and just really getting involved in the affairs of man is when he came down and took on the human race. And isn't it a comfort to know that in the judgment, we will have someone of our race sitting up there to judge us? Someone that has taken on our very nature and, and understands what it is like to be human, what, what we went through. And so Jesus is in heaven as a witness, as an advocate for us. So the judgment isn't something to be scared of. So what we've learned so far, we've learned that the judgment doesn't benefit God because he, is omni- all, he knows all. He's omnis- omni- omniscient. And so who does it benefit then? Those of us that don't know all that are not God. Omniscient, there we go. <laughs> Okay, so the transition question you're going to ask next is, how does this relate to the entire great controversy? How does this relate? And Revelation 12, 10, who, could, who wants to read that verse for us? And we're going to find someone is accusing us. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his, of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Okay, so Satan is accusing us. He doesn't care for us at all and is always up there just accusing us before God. But 
he's not just accusing us, he's also accusing God. And in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, we see what he's saying about God to Eve. And he whispers this into each and every one of our ears. So Genesis 3, 4, and 5. And this says, Then the servant said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So essentially he's saying, Well, you know, God's lying to you. God's keeping you from the good stuff. And he's bringing um, falseness upon his character. And so God's not, uh, Satan is not just um, accusing us. He's accusing God and God's character. So in the judgment, God is really the one on trial, not us. The issue of God's fairness is central in the battle between God and Satan. And he's always trying to, all throughout time, and every people, not just Adam, he just started there, he's always trying to accuse God of not being fair. And so the judgment is to show that God is completely fair. The angels are all watching. Um, we are not the only ones here in the universe. And so Ephesians 3.10 talks a little bit about um, we're going back to the great controversy that we talked about in two studies ago and just showing um, how this all ties in the judgment with the whole p- big picture of things in this earth. So Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Okay, so we as a church get the privilege of sharing and just vindicating God's character and yes, we might have to go through a hard time down here because, you know, the struggles of life and with sin. But what a privilege to know that the angels, our next verse, First uh, Peter 1.12, it talks about how they just desire to look into the things that are happening down here on earth. It is just, they're all just at the edge of the universe looking into what's going on. Um, and so we are on the stage of a great cosmic battle. Our lives are of great interest to the angels. Angels understand God better as they observe our lives. And you can see this in the book of Job, the story of Job. Um, you know, Satan is accusing God. Well, you're, well, you know, the only reason that Job follows you is because you bless him with all these things, but take away the blessings and he's, he's not going to love you. And Job had the privilege, just like each one of us today has the privilege of showing that, no, God, uh, you know, it is possible. You love him because you love him. It's not because of things that he gives you. And the angels are watching that and just marveling and learning about the character of God through us. So the gospel working in the lives of sinners is the thing that has the whole universe spellbound. The question is, how is God going to make sinners live in a sinless world? And that's the question of the judgment. The angels and everyone wants to know, how, how are we going to be taken up into heaven when we, we have sin down here on this earth? And the angels have limitations too. They don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind. This question boggles them. So the sin problem began in their, very, in their own very backyard, and they... They're very scared. They don't want to have sin come up into heaven and have that happen again like where it began. So the reason there's a judgment is to show the entire universe which side each person has chosen to take in this cosmic conflict. So the judgment is when God convinces the entire universe that you are fit for heaven. So as you can see, uh, it's just a whole new view of the judgment. God is not a harsh God just wanting to you know, find any little thing to just, you know, oh, you can't go to heaven. Instead, he's trying to find every little thing to save you. He wants to take you to heaven. Um, he just has to prove to the angels and show, yes, he, why. He needs to open up the books and show why, um, you know, that, that no, you don't have any more sin. Yes, you can come to heaven. And here's an illustration. Um, there once was this doctor, and he had this 
patient with a very contagious disease. And so, and it was very unknown and everyone was scared of it. And so he had to wear an astronaut suit to go in to this patient. And it was um, really bad. And every day he'd tell his wife and kids about it when he came home. Well, one day uh, he came home and says, the patient's now been healed and I'm going to bring the patient home to live with us. Well, how do you think the parents, the, the wife and the kids would have reacted to that news. They probably would have been like, no, no, definitely don't bring him. We don't want this guy. You've been telling us how, what a bad disease and how contagious it is. We don't want him living with us. And so in order to convince them that the patient would be clear, he, the doctor would have to bring all the lab results, all the x-rays, everything to show that, yes, no, this, this guy is, is, he's completely clean. He'll be fine living with us. And that's what God does. He, that's what the judgment is all about. He has to lay out all the, everything on the table before the angels and show that, yes, this person has chosen me, and this person has cleansed, and this person by my blood, and um, they're fine to live in heaven. This, this sin problem will not happen again. So the judgment is not God choosing who will be saved or lost, but God recognizing those who have chosen to be saved or lost. It's our choice. It's not something that God's going to say, oh, no, I don't feel like you, I don't want you to come to heaven. It's not that at all. It's just recognizing that was Jim's choice. That was Veronica's choice. That was Tim's choice. And it's, it's, the ball is all in our court. God wants to find any excuse to save us. He all wants everyone to be in heaven. So the ball is in our court, and this is another illustration. Um, when you're a teacher, a lot of times parents will come to you and they will say, um, why did my kid get an F? Well, that's the wrong question. It's really, you know, why didn't your kid study? You know, well, it's your kids. You, whatever they did, that's the, the reason they got an F. And that's kind of, that's, that's us as humans. You know, what? It's not, God, why can't I go to heaven? It's what our choice that we're making now. We're just choosing ourselves if we want to go to heaven or not. Um, C.S. Lewis has a really good quote, and it says, In the end, there will be two classes of people, those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says, your will be done. It's our choice. Um, it's not, it's, and it's just so liberating and so freeing to see that, that, that God is such a loving God through this message that, you know, it's, it's what we make our choices today. God wants us in heaven. He wants every single one of us in heaven. God is so merciful. He lets all go that want to be there. And he's so merciful that he doesn't force people that don't want to be there to be there. So God is just showing in the judgment that everyone gets what they want. The judgment is just God acknowledging what everyone's choice was to the universe. So praise the Lord. We serve such an amazing God. Um, so here's the appeal that you'd want to give as you're giving this study. Satan is our prosecutor. He doesn't care for us. He's trying to condemn us. Jesus is our judge and our attorney. He's trying to save us at all costs. What could keep you from siding with the one who is trying to save you and didn't want to live in heaven if you couldn't be there? He loves you so much. So praise the Lord for such an amazing God. Um, we have some defendants here. I'm not sure how much time do we have left. Okay, so here are some defendants. So sometimes, uh, a lot of times when you're giving studies, you will have questions that will be asked of you afterwards. And so here are some of the ones that you will get. Uh, the first one is, well, what about once saved, always saved? Now, we went over this at the beginning of the study, but, and these are the same verses that I had up on the screen before. So I, if you wrote them down already, then you already had them down. And... Um, they show that, yes, everyone has a free choice, so you will have a free choice even after you accepted God's salvation. And so it is possible to have accepted his salvation and then to turn away from it. So hopefully you have, the, you have those all written down from when we previously talked about it. 
Another uh, example is who, another question that you'll get is who is the judge? Who is the judge? Uh, is it God? Is it Jesus? Um, we can see this in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and also in Romans 14.10-12. Does anyone want to read that for us? 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, so the judgment seat of who? Christ. Excellent. And so, you know, you can see that also in Romans 14. So what appeal factors does this have? It's Jesus sitting up there. It's Christ. It's the one that came down and took on human flesh. It's the one that is a member of our race. The one that understands what it's like to live as a human. And um, he's actually related to you, and he's presiding over the judgment. So there's nothing to be scared of. And also, God, the Bible says that Jesus and God are they're the same. And so we don't need to be afraid of God either. Um, Jesus is not like an earthly judge. He's not looking for any reason to get you. He's looking for any reason to save you. Another verse that you might have asked of you is John 12, uh, 47. And people might say, well, what about this verse? I come not to judge the world, but to save it. And a lot of times people will ask questions and they just won't look at the context surrounding the verse. And so if you want to just look into the next verse, um, you'll see that Jesus says that, yes, there will be a judgment. And it says that, that the judgment will be by God's words. And John 1, 14, Christ is the word. And the words are the revelation and life of Christ. So yes, there will still be a judgment. Okay, and then what will be judged in the judgment? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14 says that even the secret things we do, not just our actions, but also our hearts and our motives. 12, 13, and 14. And then how will God relate to people who died without fully living up to or knowing all the truth that we know today? Um, we'll find the answer in Acts 17, 30 through 31. If someone wants to, if we can turn there. Acts 17, 30 through 31. And I can read that for you. It says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. So God will only hold people accountable for what they know. Um, and just, once again, another way to show that God is, is such a fair God. Um, gives everyone a chance. And, but he wants us all to know truth and to keep digging into the word ourselves. What is God's standard in the judgment? James 2, 10 through 12. James 2, 10 through 12. Does anyone want to read that verse for us? For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor, transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Okay, so we'll be touching this on this same verse a little bit later on in the, the law study. But um, what law is it talking about here? Sound familiar? Uh, the, you know, which law? The Ten Commandments, very good. It's giving some examples of the Ten Commandments, so you can clearly see that this law is talking about the Ten Commandments. So what is God's standard in the judgment? It's the Ten Commandments. And our last point for today is um, the question, you might find the question, well, what are the three judgments? 
Um, and we'll go into this a little bit more into the, in the next study. Chelsea's going to go into it. But um, there are three. The investigative judgment is what we talked about today. It's what happens before Jesus comes back. It is to evaluate God's people. And you'll have the millennial judgment, which is the one that the saved get to help in, in evaluating. Um, everyone's judgment has already been passed, but God is just opening up the books once again because he's such a fair and loving God. He wants to be transparent. He wants us to see through his mind and to see why he did what he did. And then executive judgment, when God finally eradicates sin and the devil forever. Um, so does anyone have any questions today um, on this study? We still have enough time, so um, praise the Lord, we got it all through. But if you uh, want this study, I'm more than well happy to give it to you.